When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Legends Lounge. I'm True Withers, and with me today in the lounge, we have former Florida Gator. He is a former Toronto Raptor. He also won two championships as a member of the San Antonio Spurs. We've got the Red Mamba himself, Matt Bonner. Matt, thank you for stopping by the lounge, man. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here and looking forward to having a fun conversation. Definitely. I, I, I like to jump right in. So I, I like to ask everybody, what was your welcome to the NBA moment? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, so my welcome to the NBA moment occurred before I actually made the NBA. Mm. I was in a pre-draft workout for the Chicago Bulls and Usually for the pre-draft workouts, they bring in like four guys, two bigs and two guards Mm -hmm. so that they can do like two on two and pick and roll stuff like that. And for whatever reason, the other big didn't show up. So in in this (laughs) workout, yeah. So in this workout, I remember it was me, Kyle Korver and Dwayne Wade. Why Dwayne Wade was in a workout with me and Kyle Korver, I have no idea because we were like, you know, second round picks and he was a lot yeah, of three pick, freak but, athletes and three lottery picks all together. I, yeah, I can but see how this for, work. Yeah. So for whatever reason, me and Kyle Korver were in a workout with Dwayne Wade and because the big didn't show up, we couldn't, there was no one for me to match up with really. So they just put me through all the, the guard stuff. Um, okay. I mean, we had to do like full court one-on-one. So if you can imagine me having to play full court one-on-one against, you know, college Dwayne Wade. It was an absolute You, you didn't beat him too bad, did you? Yeah, yeah, I took it easy on him. Yeah. I took it easy on him. I didn't want to embarrass him, but no, I mean, the complete flip side. It was it was <laughs> awful. It was a slaughter and a miserable experience. And that was kind of like, wow, this is a bit of a welcome to the NBA moment right there. Do you remember the final score from you and Dwayne playing? I, it's all a blur. I, I think I've blocked <laughs> it out. You need like hypno regression therapy to get it out of me at this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So next question, when do you feel like you belonged in the NBA? Oh, like when did you start yeah. feeling like you like, okay, I belong. Like I'm, I'm supposed to be here. Good question. So, you know, I had a, a long path to the NBA. Mm. I went all four years to college. I played my first year after getting drafted in the Italian league. I was mm. a second round pick. They had a full roster. This is before the G league. So it was like, all right, we need you to go play overseas for a year. Let us clear some of these contracts out, and then we'll, you'll be on the team. While I was playing in the Italian league, the, the head coach and GM who drafted me got fired. So I came back, and the, the Raptors still held my rights, so it wasn't like I could just go to any team. Mm. However, they had a new coach, a new GM, who did not draft me, did not have any particular allegiance to me. So I had to like go to summer league with like 22 other guys for a second time and just kind of beat out all of them to get invited to training camp and then Mm. go to training camp and fight like four other guys for that last roster spot. 
which I did and got a one-year rookie minimum unguaranteed contract. And I started the season on the active roster. I mm. think we had some injuries and stuff, but I wasn't really in the rotation. You know, I was getting spot minutes. Right. But I was third third string backup power forward behind Chris Bosch back when he was on the Raptors. Mm. And Danielle Marshall, who's a Remember Don, OG, yeah. oh, OG yeah. stretch big, someone I'm very glad to have played with my first two years in the league and kind of learned. He's one of the what, originators. Exactly. Uh, really underrated player, in my opinion, but someone I could really learn from, like, what is this role and how can you make a career out of it? So I was behind those two guys. And then, uh, you know, like, I, I want to say like a month in the season, we were on a long West Coast trip. And Danielle pulled his hamstring and was going to be out for a month. So I went from like third string power forward spot minutes to like back, back up power forward mm -hmm. 20, 20 to 25 minutes a night mm -hmm. and just really capitalized on that, played really well that whole trip. And, and when we, we got back, um, Danielle eventually came back. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going back to the bench. But I didn't. I stayed in the I stayed like in the front court rotation from that point mm -hmm. on. And so it was, I guess it was when Danielle came back and I was still getting those minutes that I was like, all right, I'm doing this. You know, I, I can right. do this. Now, did that change like you and Danielle's relationship any? Or is that just kind of part of the part of the no. like, next man steps up like it, it was bound to happen? Yeah, no, not at all. Like I said, uh, he was a great vet to have. I mean, he totally. Uh, was pulling for me, encouraging me the entire time, no matter what. And, mm. you know, I'm grateful for that. Mm, definitely. Now, it, it's something I've talked to Rex Chapman, and he brought it up. That left shrimp brought it up. So I feel like I, I have to ask before you bring it up. When was the first time you got called white boy in the NBA? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I, I remember a memorable time was, was from uh, – Rasheed Wallace. And, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I remember I got, I remember the first time I played against Rasheed, uh, I caught him off guard. I think I like hit a three. Uh -huh. He was like, he was like, oh, okay. You know, like, uh, he, he's probably the, one of the biggest trash talkers that I played against. Rasheed Wallace, a trash talker? Yeah. Wow. I know, right? Surprising. <laughs> I hit a three. And then, so then the next time I, you know, I, sh I shot, I used it to my advantage. I, I did a shot fake, got him off balance and went to the hole and he had to foul mm -hmm. me. And now I'm at the foul line and we're at Detroit and this is when they're really good. And it's, you know, foul shots in the NBA are stressful under normal circumstances. I think right. if you asked any player, it's like quiet, everybody's watching you, right. especially when you don't shoot a lot like me, like I shot like 10 a year. <laughs> right. So I'm a lot stressed of out to begin with. Yeah, so he's in the lane line. Yeah, just talking smack. I'm sure there was a, a white boy comment in there. Uh, <laughs> a lot of rook, rook comments. And, uh, you know, I, I think I went one for two. It probably half worked. I was going to say, yeah, one for two. I mean, you could have airballed. I feel like we see guys like airball two <laughs> or even airball one. So it, I feel like it could have went worse. It, it could have, for sure. But, uh, yeah, it was – yeah, I just remember Rashid was quiet, was just talking smack to me at the foul line, but also felt good because I knew I got the right. better of him in those two position possessions. In the overall grand scheme of the game, I'm sure he torched me. <laughs> right, but you for those couple minutes, yeah, exactly. For those I caught yeah, him off guard. 
Now, jumping back a little bit, you are a, like born and raised. You're a New Hampshire guy, correct? Correct. Now, how did you end up in Gainesville, Florida for college? Uh, that's a no-brainer. And, and when I give you the answer, you're going to be like, oh, that's completely obvious. So coming out of New England, right, uh, I got recruited by the three major New England college basketball schools, UConn, Boston College, and Providence College. And, uh, you know, growing up Catholic in New England, it was probably going to be Boston College. And if it wasn't going to be Boston College, it was going to be Providence College, right? Um, for whatever reason, kind of when I was making my decision, their coaches had left. Mm. So Jim O'Brien left Boston College to go to Ohio State, and Pete Gillen left Providence to go to Virginia. So their their programs were kind of in flux. Mm. Um, you know, I still visited and everything. Right. But then I visited University of Florida. We played in a Christmas tournament my junior year down in Fort Lauderdale. I don't even know how we got invited. Like, we had a really good team. <laughs> it's a long we way won. from home, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we won three straight state championships. We had a couple other college players. I just went to mm. Concord High, the public school, for like a public school in New Hampshire. That's kind of rare. <laughs> um, and I, I was like a, a ranked recruit, I guess. So they, mm. you know, for somehow we got invited down there. And Coach Donovan was like the speaker to all the kids in the tournament at some like, uh, gathering or whatever mm. and they were recruiting that tournament so i guess they caught wind of me or saw me play so they started recruiting me from that point on my junior year and they were always up in new hampshire coach coach john pelfrey kind of took the lead mm -hmm. as uh his one of his assistants recruiting me and coach donovan was up all the time too and uh so i went you know i went and took a visit down to university of florida at the time they were not a very good basketball program he had right. just taken the job from marshall um they hadn't made the tournament since like the Andrew like a, quite a while yeah dimitri uh hill i think dimitri hill <laughs> the, the meat hook like those guys yeah it, it had been a minute yeah um and so everybody up in new hampshire was like you know what are you doing visiting florida like a it's not new england b it's a football school like <laughs> they, they didn't understand like coach donovan's vision and what he was trying to get off the ground there. And he, that, you know, he told me on that, like, look, I'm going to turn this into a national, nationally prominent perennial contender uh, college basketball program. And I want you in on the ground floor. Mm -hmm. He had just gotten uh, Mike Miller to commit there. Mm -hmm. he, had, he had a bunch of really good Florida players like Udonis Haslam, mm -hmm. uh, Teddy DuPay had committed. Um, I think Brett Nelson, who was a McDonald's All-American, was Nelson. getting ready was getting ready to commit. So he had like some pieces coming in, um, and he's like, you know, we need you. We need a we need a stretch big. And uh, so you take your visits for college for basketball. You take your visits in the fall. For anyone right. out there who doesn't know, so you know, I visit UConn. I go to a football game. I think at the time there were like one double A. There was maybe like yeah. 10, 50, 10, 15,000 people. <laughs> it's in stores, Connecticut, in the middle of nowhere. Right, chilly, um, I'd imagine. Yeah, but that didn't bother me at the time. That's yeah, all I knew. you're used to it, yeah. Yeah, and uh, then I you know, I visit Boston College, went to a football game, very exciting for me, but still, you know, probably like 30,000, 40,000 people, which is a lot of mm. people, don't get me wrong. Right. But I went to Providence, so they didn't even have a football team. <laughs> and then I go, and then I go to University of Florida and go to an SEC football game. Mm. 
and I was like, I mean, toothpicks in my yeah. eyes. My eyes were gonna uh, pop out of my head. I never seen anything. There's no. That's probably like a foreign country to you. Yeah, there's not college sports like that where I'm from in New England. Like SEC football was like God down there, and yeah. you know, it was like a hundred thousand people at the game. Uh, who knows how many more people outside? Just like everybody's in their. Yeah. Everybody's all about the Gators. You know, it's like a theme in the SEC. I think like school spirits at like an eleven, and right. uh, I remember Mike Miller and Udonis and those guys kind of hosted me, and we didn't we didn't like go out or do anything crazy. All they wanted mm-hmm. to do was like go to the gym each night and poop and get shots which is exact all i want to do you know i was at the ymca every spare second i had back home so i was like more than happy to go hoop with these guys at the florida practice facility um and it was november and i'm in shorts and a t-shirt i was gonna say i feel like that's what would have sold me the most that was the clincher for sure yeah and so then it was like all right this is this is an easy choice i'm going to the university of florida and everybody back home's like, again, like, what are you doing? <laughs> but that year, so that was my senior high school. That year, they, they went to the Sweet 16. And then my fir- freshman year, we went all the way to the championship game in 2000, 99, 2000, and lost to Michigan State. And uh, definitely silenced all the critics in New England. Yeah, so I was going to say, it's got to feel pretty good having that. I mean, they have that success before you even get there. It's like, okay, because if they – you know, got upset or they win nine games that year. Maybe you're like, oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and Coach Donovan did exactly what he said he was going to do. I, yeah. I mean, he built that program into a nationally prominent program year in and year out. Mm. Now, you mentioned, uh, you know, Mike Miller, Udonis Haslam. We know and hear about Udonis Haslam now, you know, the was 18, 19 year NBA vet, like the the enforcer for the Miami Heat. What was a 19, 20 year old? What was that like being around him? Was he the same the way? Same. I was going to say, was he the, yeah, yeah. Just like he was always 41 years old? That, that was his personality. He just had such a great feel for the game and was always like the tough guy. Right. Uh, the, the thing I'll say about college Udonis, he weighed a lot more and <laughs> he was, he's to this day, People see say what I'm about to say. They'll be like, "Well, you played with Tim Duncan. How can you say that?" Hmm. To which I'll say, "Tim Duncan, it wasn't the same. Udonis is like the best post player I ever played against. I guess or with, but against all the time in practice. Really, in my life, like really. Like, and honestly, it's not even close. Like, wow, that guy put in work on the post because he weighed like two seventy. He was big guy in college, yeah. and so. And he had such a great feel for the game, such footwork, so strong, um, such a great touch. And he, he just really understood timing, how, when to duck in, angles, how to use scr- – just anything that has like to do in the paint, in the block, which is a complete lost art. Like no one does that anymore um, at all. But mm. he, he was the best ever. You know, a prime example, we played North Carolina in the Final Four – and he matched up with Brandon Hayward, who had him by like mm. six, seven inches and like gave him like 28 and 14. Yeah. Just just like annihilated him all on the all block work, offensive rebounds. We used to do the offensive rebound drill where uh, 
you know, it would be one-on-one, like, war rebounding. And Coach Donovan had this, like, bubble thing he put over the rim so the ball couldn't go in. Uh, uh-huh. And he'd shoot it, and you never knew where it was coming off. And you had to, like, get, like, three out of – or two out of three or three out of four rebounds to get mm-hmm. out of the drill. And it, it, it was like a, like a fist fight for everyone else in the drill of who was going to have to try to box him out in the drill. Because no yeah, one how, wanted to how, do did, it. how did they decide no one that? Wanted they... to do it. Yeah, so I want to go get Teddy Dupay. Yeah, yeah. Wh- whoever got stuck boxing him out would be stuck in the drill forever, and then inevitably lo- lose enough to frustrate Coach Donovan, where you're just like running line drills, <laughs> yeah, moving on. punishment. Um, but yeah, I-, I will say that about his game, and then doesn't get drafted. I remember when he didn't get drafted, being just absolutely flabbergasted because um, I had so much respect for him as a player, uh, and. He went and played in France, I think, for a year. I don't know. Maybe he'll come on this and he can tell you the story better than I was me. Gonna say, yeah, went, we we got to get UD in here. He went he went to play in France for a year, and I remember that uh, after the season, he came back to campus in the spring, and I didn't even recognize him. He had lost so much weight; he just completely transformed his body, and uh, turned. You know, I guess. Being six seven and two seventy and playing like that in the NBA wasn't going to cut it. So he like right. changed his body, completely changed his game, and figured it out uh, how to just make the heat and stay there for the last thirty eight years. I was going to say, does he ever leave? Like he, he's we're just going to look I, up. It's going to be twenty thirty eight, and Udonis Haslam's going to be going into his I wouldn't 50 be second surprised. Year. Yeah, it's <laughs> unbelievable. I, I mean, you've seen his abs; it's crazy. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know if he had those when he was 270, did he? No, he, he did not, for sure. <laughs> but I, I, I'm sure Gator Dining had something to do with that, all the pizza. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, a southern uh, cuisine. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, they mentioned you were drafted by the Bulls, uh, then traded to the Raptors, correct? Correct. Now, now, from that 03 draft, did you know that you you have the 12th most win shares from that draft? Did you know that? No, I had no idea. Uh, that yeah, I mean that was a pretty epic draft for sure. Yep. It's so when are they going to start when, mentioning your name? Oh, you're twelfth in win shares. I don't know. I I, I never <laughs> I don't even know what win shares are. To be honest with you, listen, uh, I don't either. But it sounded good, doesn't it? It you're does. In I'm it. I'm I'm rolling with that. That's going to be in my bio on social media now. Twelfth in win shares in the 2003 draft. That draft, by the way. Um, Got draft so I did all the workouts, all the pre-draft workouts. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the Chicago pre-draft camp. I did all the pre-draft workouts, and I I worked out twice for the Knicks, right? So I'm thinking, mm-hmm. like, there's a and I killed in both those workouts. Like, I I couldn't have had a better workout. And the Knicks had like three second round picks in the 30s. So mm-hmm. in my head, I'm like, all right, I I'm. I'm going. Surely, I'm I'm going to get picked by one of these picks. I would mm-hmm. I would assume, and uh, you know, feedback's great. Agents like, yeah, they loved you. They brought you in a second time. You did great both times, and uh, so uh, my dad's like, my dad's a mailman in Concord, New Hampshire, where I'm from, and uh, you know, he's like, you know, we're going to watch a draft. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to call some friends up, and we'll watch it at this uh, this restaurant. In downtown called the Capitol Grill, not like the the fancy ca- chain Capitol Grill. It's like a mom and pop version. Okay. Nothing fancy about it. And uh, 
he's like, oh yeah. He's like, you mind if I invite some people? I'm like, yeah, sure. So when you, when your dad's a mailman for like 30 something years mm. in, in your hometown, he gets to know everybody at some, one point or another. He, he's shaking I, a few hands. Yeah. Yeah. I, I walk into the bar there and it, there's like 400 people. <laughs> like it was packed. <laughs> I'm like, well, one person tells another, you know, so exactly. I'm like, all right, this is a huge draft party, I guess. All right, let's do it. You know, um, we watched the first round. It comes and goes. I don't get drafted. So be it. Uh, I wasn't really expecting to get drafted in the first round. Second round's getting ready to start. I'm like, all right, here we go. You know, picks start coming quicker. Um, the Knicks first pick, uh, they don't take me. The Knicks second pick, 35, whatever, they don't take me. I think they have like 39. And I'm thinking, all right, this is going to be this me, right? One. This is the one. They don't take me. Now Do you remember the pick- three players they picked? I, I have no, I cannot remember, but, oh, but so you're not one of those guys. Got you. Wasn't one of them. And now they're like in the forties. Right. Right. And they're, they're calling names and it's not me. It's not me. I'm like, Oh man, like I might not get drafted and this is going to be really embarrassing. Yeah. Not, not like got invited to the green room, New York city, embarrassing, but nonetheless, right. in, yeah. in my small world. And, uh, they pick 44. It's not me. They go to commercial they come back, they pick 46, it's not me. And like no one really picks up that they skip, kind of skip 45. Uh-huh. But you could hear like while they're doing the 46 pick, it sounded like a producer or someone in the background said my name. We had the sound turned way up. <laughs> and someone's like, wait, did they just say your name? And the guy, you know, someone's like, no, they drafted, you know, whoever Somebody at 46. Else, yeah. And so they, they like real quick before they cut into that, breaking down that player they're like oh while we were at break with the 45th pick the chicago bulls selected map honor university of florida <laughs> and everybody's like ah you know going nuts so i got drafted during the commercial which is anti it i was gonna say that you missed your mom i mean you got it but you yeah you prefer so, it that so way i mean you it's got a, a story to tell moment, now though. but yeah and that's why i tell people it's a fake moment like everybody not. in my town was like oh you're drafted you're gonna be a multi-millionaire everything's good peaches you know peach peachy keen whatever mm. not the case as i found out <laughs> because w- after i got drafted like literally 30 seconds later everyone's and this is like 2003 not that far removed from the the jordan bulls so mm-hmm. the bulls had like serious cachet still so everyone's like holy crap you're going to the bulls where jordan mm-hmm. played um and then like 30 seconds later i got a call from my agent and he's like no you actually got drafted by the raptors like they traded the pick they picked you for the raptors technically it was the bulls pick but you're gonna you be got drafted by the you're gonna be a raptor yeah and i was like so confused like i did work out for the raptors but i remember mm-hmm. it was like a friday like i did workout in five days i was tired right. Not your best o- work. Yeah, I had an okay workout, but nothing that great. And he's like, no, the, the Raptors GM, Glenn Grunwald, mm-hmm. uh, saw both your workouts with the Knicks for whatever reason. So that's uh, that's why they drafted wow. you based on those workouts. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then, you know, to make a long story short, although that the story I just told was really long, you're not – like you're drafted in the second round. You're not guaranteed a contract. I guess it's a little easier now with the two-way contracts. Yeah, two um, ways, G League. Stuff yeah, like and that. yeah, and like yeah, but back then it was like 
there was no G League and the, the roster ended up being full with guaranteed contracts and they didn't have mm. space for me. So I'd be like, you know, go grind it out in Europe and come back and make the team. So it, it was a different world back then for sure. Now, was that like a, a handshake agreement? I remember you mentioned that earlier. Was it like a, you know, hey, you go overseas and we'll bring you back. Like wink, wink. Was this you just trusting their word or? How, yeah, trusting their word. Trusting mm. their word. Um I remember my agent saying, yeah, this, this happens. This is what mm. teams do. Uh, he's like, look, they drafted you. Like they want you on their team. They just need a year to clear out some of these contracts. And uh, the, the caveat is obviously what happened to me. If, if they get fired, <laughs> you know, whoever's right. coming in, isn't like, Oh, who, Hey, who did you promise you were going to have on the team next year? You know, right, yeah. we'll, we'll definitely honor that. that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you get to Italy, you're playing there. Just what was that experience like? Going from four years from Concord for four years in Gainesville to fake Chicago, fake Toronto, but then actually Italy. So what was that like? That was the best life experience of my entire life. Really? Why is that? Yeah. Just going, my team was in Messina, Sicily. It was a cultural experience. Let's just put it that way. I always, I have a million stories. I'm not going to tell them all here because we, we literally don't have time. I'll, maybe I'll write a book about it someday. But there you go. It was it was wild. Like my team, my team and its organization was was crazy. Let's just put it that way. Um, the basketball was awesome. Like the A1 division in Italy was fantastic. Every team had multiple guys who either ended up playing in the NBA or had played on the M at an mm. NBA level. Um, so the competition was great. It was my first professional experience. So uh, despite all the crazy stuff that was going on within my organization and off the court, right. I was like, this is good basketball. My goal is the NBA. I'm just going to focus on myself and get better every single day. Um, so that when I get back, I'm the best player I can be to make the NBA. And, and that perspective helped me big time during that season. And, uh, but just living abroad uh, in a place that is not westernized, like people mm. think Italy, they think may, maybe they think Rome, Milan, Florence. Right. Messina, Sicily is not that. Like, not, not so much, yeah. No one spoke English, no tourist attractions. Um, it, it was it, like you had to assimilate into being living in a Sicilian neighborhood, like it was really cool. Looking back, mm. like in the moment, I was saying, how was it at the time? It was a little stressful from time to time, but in hindsight, like just the amount, how much I learned about myself, mm. uh, learned about the world, my worldview, everything is completely altered forever from living there for a year. Basically, uh, interacting, we had guys on our team from all different countries. Um, it, it was just a, a really awesome experience i i tell people like i have more stories from like that one season in italy than from like my entire nba career like it was just every day was like something some other something new was going to happen that was going to catch you off guard uh, give, give me one give me a random one what's just a, just a random like oh boy one of these days huh uh, all right um here's a random one and this is like so I'm, I'm on, in an apartment, man, there's so many. Um, 
I'll give you this one. I'm in an apartment in like a Sicilian, densely populated Sicilian neighborhood. My apartment is literally right on the water, right on the Strait mm-hmm. of Messina on the Mediterranean. And it's the strait that separates Messina, which I would say is probably like four or 500,000 people. Okay. And then right across the strait is the mainland of Italy, Reggio Calabria, where, okay. where Manu Ginobili used to play. Okay. They had a team as well. Um, you know, I don't know, several hundred thousand people in the city. Like you, you could look, I don't even know how to explain it. Like uh, probably a shorter, like, like if you're in Oakland and you're looking at San Francisco, like right. that. Like right across the bay. Yeah. Type. Yeah. But no bridges. There's no bridges because <laughs> the people in the mainland are like, we don't want Sicily. Yeah, no, stay over there. Sicily, like we don't want the mainland. And uh, our our basketball teams, our rivals, like like when we played their Reggio Calabria in Messina at our arena, mm-hmm. no fans were allowed in the in the gym. Like not even really? not even family. I was say, even, no family and friends. Uh, only coach, media. Like... No, because they were worried about the fans fighting and violence. Wow. So we played uh, an official Serie A1 Italian league game with zero fans against Reggio Calabria. And I remember when I showed up to the arena, there was like, uh, what are the cops called there? The Carabinieri or whatever. There was like a hundred of them all in a circle around the whole arena, making sure no one tried to get in, which I thought was unnecessary. Make sure no one tried to get into a basketball game. I got you. Right. I like, I'm like, just lock all the doors except one, you know, yeah, I don't well, know, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, yeah. So we, we played a, and, and then when we went to their gym, we show up for walkthrough at like 10 AM or whatever on game day. Mm. And they have this like crazy uh, fan section that's in, in their gym with like drums and they're just like banging drums and dancing and chanting at the top of their lungs, our entire walkthrough at 10 a.m. And so I'm they were ready, they were ready for you guys. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, what, why are they in here at 10 a.m.? The game's at seven. Why are they here at 10 a.m.? Uh, and he's like, they're practicing well, like you guys. Yeah, they have certain fan clubs. It, it happens in soccer too, apparently, where they're, they're like, he it sounded like militarized mm. i'm not saying it means the same in english right, but right, like right. like they like they're violent or i don't know like they'll break stuff or it, they're like it's just easier this is the compromise they just let them come in so they can heckle us during our walkthrough and in exchange like they won't cause burn too much everything trouble. down yeah, yeah exactly I think, that, I think that's a fair compromise to be honest <laughs> I, know, I know but anyways i thought that was crazy um anyways back to my story i'm in this you know dense neighborhood there's like seven eight story apartment buildings that line the street and mm. the street is a, is about wide enough for a one-way street but it's a two-way street okay parallel, and cars parallel parked on both sides love it so like if you're if you're driving everybody folds their mirrors in when you park and when you're driving to give you like mm. a few extra inches of clearance and then it, it's like the biggest, like, if you can't parallel park, you can't live on it. You're done. Because, yeah. like, you're driving from the start of the street to my, to my apartment three or four times at least. Um, someone's coming, and you can't fit, and someone's going to have to, like, parallel park into a tiny area and let one of the other, let the other car go Pets. and then pull out and keep going. It was that. Oh, it was so annoying. Um, yeah. But anyways, I, I'm going. I, we got practice, right? So I'm coming out. I'm coming out that street. And mm-hmm. I'm pulling on to the main road to go to practice like I've done 
every, twice a day because we did two a days, mm-hmm. twice a day all year. And I pull into the main street, and there's like, there's like these, uh, there's like three or four bicyclists in the middle of the street. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, what the hell are these dudes doing? I'm like, first of all, you never see anyone over there like leisurely exercising. Like that's not a thing. <laughs> like, so this is no, out of place. Yeah. There's no like Planet Fitnesses or Gold's Gym. Yeah. No there's, yoga. There's club, no one out yeah. going for. There's no one out going for a jog or or, or like a bike ride like that. You just don't see that. Yeah. So I'm I'm confused to begin with why these bikers are in the road, and, and I'm like they won't get out of the road. I'm like honking at them. I'm trying to get around them. I can't. I'm like, finally, I see like an opening and I like accelerate past them. Over there, there's like no traffic laws. It's like Mario Kart. So I just pull into, pull into the other lane. Um, I see an opening. I come around the corner and there's like all these fans lining, lining the uh, street, like with flags and bells. And there's like the Peloton of like 100 bikers. They had fallen behind. This group had fallen behind the Peloton. So when I come around, there's a giant Peloton and I'm like right up, right, right up, up behind them. Yeah. Right up on them. And there's all these fans and I'm, I'm in the middle of this like bike race, this like professional <laughs> bike race. <laughs> they, they didn't like, they didn't block off the end of my, yeah, there's no flag, so no cones. Yeah, or, yeah, I just yeah, pulled no. off into it or whatever. And, and now I'm like looking like, Oh crap. Like, what do I do? I'm in the middle of this huge bike race. And one of the carabinieri guys, the police guys, mm. walks out. I see him up ahead. He's walking into the street, and he's got this, like, little sign with, like, a red circle that they, like, stand mm. in front of you, and they hold it up, like, stop. So he holds it up. I, like, slam my brakes and pull over, and he comes over. And I remember he was smoking a cigarette and just, like, cusses me out in Italian. He's smoking a cigarette while he's doing it, which is hilarious. That's pretty cool, though, getting cussed out by yeah. an Italian. Like, you know. Yeah, that's pretty good. He's arms wait. He's going. He's letting nuts. you have it. Face all red, and uh, he gets done after like for a long time, like a minute or two. He finally stops. I I, I didn't know one word he just said, <laughs> and he's looking. He asked me a question, and I'm just staring at him blankly. And I just point. I had my Palacanestro Messina jacket mm. on, and I point to the logo, and he looks at it and just shakes his head. He's like, blah, 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 and like gets in his car and <laughs> like waves me off. So, I wait, so, so, yeah, so what, did you get to practice? You just have to wait till the race was over. Yeah, like, I had to wait for all the bikers to pass, and then and then I could drive, continue driving to practice. Yep. Just, I mean, anyways, just that's day. that's one story of just like, and and something like that would happen like every few days. Like, jeez. Now you, you mentioned you said it was like I guess crazy stuff going on with the organization. What do you what's what's crazy? Uh, well, they went bankrupt, so we weren't getting. That's paid. pretty crazy. Yeah, we weren't getting paid in like, you Ever? know, I, I know, uh, I probably got less than half of the money I was supposed to, which wasn't a, a lot wow. to begin with. Right. Um, so you know, you you'd go like several months without getting paid anything. Um, wow. Some of the vet older veteran guys, you know, have families and had been playing for a while, would mm. just like sit out and protest, basically. Like mm-hmm. I'm not playing till I get some money. Right. I let, going back to what I said before. My my whole thing was like, we're about to play like Rome. I'm not sitting out because there's like six right. NBA dudes on this team, and I want to go play right. against them and get better. Like I'm already over know. here. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I never did that. But and then you know one of the partners in the team 
it was either the owner or the editor or something of a publication called the Gazetta del Sud. It was like this newspaper printed on pink newspaper, which I thought was weird. It was on That's pink cool. newspaper. And they, they, th that was like the media, the publication for Sicily. Got you. So the players would complain that they weren't getting paid and sit out. And then they'd go and write an article like, I don't know why they're sitting out. We paid them every penny. <laughs> so they were getting, they'd come out, they'd come out and get like booed and stuff by fans. The, the yeah, fans, we, we paid him twice his salary. I don't yeah, know what he's the, talking the, about. Exactly. The fans think like they're just being babies. But it's like, oh, they haven't gotten paid in three months and they have like two kids with them from Sicily. Yeah. Like, um <laughs> but my my other thing was like I never I never had a penny to my name. Um I didn't grow up poor, but my dad was a mailman, my mm -hmm. mom was an elementary school teacher with three kids. Um and so like I, when I got, when I got to Italy, I probably had like, you know, $300 in my checking account that I had managed to save by working or whatever, you mm. know? And, and so I remember when I got there, I got uh here's another story for you. I was supposed to get a $5,000 bonus. Like when I got there and passed the physical, like $5,000 USD. And I go and take the physical. Uh, I, I guess I pass. It was like the most bizarre Maybe. physical ever. I, I don't even want to, this is the weirdest <laughs> physical. I'm not even going to tell that story. That's a different story. But anyways, I passed the physical. Uh, I practiced all week, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It was like a Monday I practiced, Tuesday practiced, Wednesday, Thursday. That weekend we were hosting a preseason tournament that is like a huge tradition. And we had three other teams coming from, I don't remember where. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, one of the teams, uh, Charlie Bell was on one of the teams. Okay. Um, I remember that. Uh, so anyways, we're getting ready to play the game. So it's like Friday morning and I call my agent and he's like, Hey, did you get that $5,000 bonus? And I'm like, I'm like, no, I haven't got it yet. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he's like, well, you, you took the physical, right? I'm like, yeah, I did that on Monday. He's like, and you haven't, you haven't got it yet. And he's like, mm -hmm. all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm calling your GM and I'm going to tell him you're not playing, you're not suiting up for this tournament, this game tonight, or any of the games during this tournament until you get your $5,000. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, you know, <laughs> right. like fresh out of college. Like, he's like, what do I, I'm like, what do I do? He's like, just sit there. I look, I'm in an apartment. I didn't have TV. I didn't have a phone. Um, I had to walk to the payphone like four blocks away to Jeez. use a calling card. Like that was back in calling card days. <laughs> I was like completely isolated and cut off here. He's like, just don't leave that apartment until someone comes there and gives you the 5,000 bucks. And that's the Simple last enough. I had. So I'm like, all right. <laughs> Suffice to say, I, I read like 300 books that year, at least <laughs> like a million bucks. But anyways, so I, I go and I sit in the apartment and I'm just like reading all day because there's nothing else to do. Mm. And the game's at seven and at like four o'clock, still no one's there. Five o'clock, no one's there. Uh, six o'clock, the game's at seven. It's like right. six o'clock and there's a knock on the door. I don't have a car either. There's a knock on the door. <laughs> These two uh, Sicilian dudes in plain clothes hand me a, a paper bag and a note. And I opened the bag and it's got the 5,000 in cash. And the note says, now you play, we take you to arena. 
And I was like, okay. Fair enough. So who like, who are like, you to tell these gentlemen no? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, exactly. So I'm like, all right, hold on. I go and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, as soon as I leave, one of them's circling back and stealing this money. So <laughs> I hit it. Like I took one of the drawers out from like a, uh, a dresser and stuck it on the inside mm. thinking like maybe that will deter them from finding it if they tried that. And I got in the car with them, drove to the arena, um, got dressed, went out on the court and they were halfway. There was like eight minutes still tip off. And I, I ran on the court and my like ready to go. Did two lines for a little bit and then played played in the game. And that was that. That's the story. Like, you remember any points you scored? What kind of games you? Had? Oh, lit it up, lit it up. We played like a second division team. You know, put up like forty. Um, and then we played Charlie Bell's team in the championship, and we like we went at it. He broke the tournament record. He had like 60, 61 points or something. Jeez. And, and I think I had like forty eight points and like twenty three rebounds. A decent day. Uh, yeah, and this is like, you know, it's not, uh, I mean, not to diss like the Philippines or something. It's, it was like a legit league. I mean, the Philippines right. is a legit league too, but, um, you know, it was good competition. It was it was a good introductory. Uh, last story, can I tell you one more Italy please, story? Please, please. So after the tournament, right, I, mm. I became good friends with this guy named Chris Haslam. He's an assistant coach. Oh, I forget what college he played at Wyoming. Um, and now he's an assistant coach back in the States. Um, but he's from England, British dude, great guy, Chris Haslam. Um, I became good friends with him and he was friends with one of the guys on Charlie Bell's team who's from Australia. Okay. So, and I hadn't done anything socially. And after the game, he's like, he's like, you know, Hey mate, uh, me and whoever, we're going to go grab a bite. You want to come? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I go with them like into into town and sit at like this Italian cafe and it's like right out of a movie. We're like on the sidewalk patio. It's a Saturday night Saturday night. There's people everywhere. It's gorgeous. On the water. You know, we're we're eating pizza. We're drinking we're drinking Italian beer. Mm. Uh we're hanging out, telling stories. Um, I'm getting to learn what it's like growing up in England. I'm getting to learn what it's like growing up in Australia. Um and then all of a sudden at like 12.30 a.m., 1 a.m., and people in Italy like go out to eat late. All of a sudden, all the lights in the whole city just go off and air raid sirens start going off. Like, oh, no. Like like it's World War II or something. Yeah. Oh, it's, not, not what you want to hear. And it's pitch black. And I'm like, no. holy crap. No, we're we're all like, what's going on? We're, and we're looking around and this it's crowded. There's people everywhere. Everyone's just like calmly, like it's completely normal, settling up their to. tabs, mm. going, yeah, going home, the whole nine. And I'm like, we're, so we're like, we can't find anyone to speak English. So finally, we're just like, all right, I guess that's what we do. We settle the tab. We go, we go home. Mm. Uh, Sunday's an off day. Remember, I have no internet, no phone, no nothing. <laughs> so I wake up Sunday morning and the power's back on. But I have no idea what that whole episode was. Right. And then Monday, we we finally have practice again. So I go into practice and I ask like one of my Italian teammates what, what happened. Yeah, what's the deal? And they're like, Sicily ec- imports their electricity like from France, I think, underneath the Mediterranean. Uh-huh. And when they're, when they're late paying their bills, 
France will cut the power off at an inopportune time to be like, hey, settle up your tab. Yeah. <laughs> so they cut it off like prime Saturday night when everybody's out and about because that, that's when people want their power. Yeah. Just to be like, hey, you owe us. And, and then they'll pay the bill and everything goes back normal, which should have <laughs> been a warning sign of my situation. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Moving it's forward a heads up. Uh, with, not, with being late or not getting paid at all. But uh, anyways... So there you, you live go. And you learn. It's a yeah. It, it's a it's Pandora's box. You ask about Italy, and like one story leads to another, leads to another, leads <laughs> to another, which is why I say it was like the best life experience I've ever had in my life. Yeah, no, that's we'll have to. We won't keep you uh, uh, too much longer because we want to one have you tell some of these stories next time, and two have you save enough for the book, uh, and then you can come right, on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but one thing I did want to ask you about while you were in Toronto, so you get back to Toronto and. You were part of history in Toronto. I mentioned you were the Red Mamba as anointed uh, by Kobe Bryant himself. What, for, how, how did it feel when Kobe gave you that, that title on Twitter? I was in shock, I guess. First of all, <laughs> I wasn't on Twitter or any social media until, <laughs> until after I retired, which in hindsight was, especially since I'm in, I'm in the media game now, yeah. It's the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm done playing. Now I'm gonna try. Yeah, to let me start it up. It's now. like impossible. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I got wind of it and and I read someone wrote an, you know, a lot of people wrote articles about it, but I read an yeah. article about how it happened and like Twitter took off with it and it kind of went viral and became my nickname. And uh, you know, I was like, wait, Kobe knows who I am, you know. Yeah, that's like, a, that's pretty good. It was it was pretty exciting to have someone as legendary as him give me a nickname that stuck like that for sure. Yeah. Now it was in reference to you being in the building for the history I mentioned. So you were in the yeah. building for for the eighty one point game. You started that game. Yep. You had twelve points. People don't people don't like to talk about that. Why don't <laughs> they ever mention that part? Yeah, twelve points back then was like twenty something. Now that's what I'm saying. So what? What? It was a again, different game. It was a slow game. It was a physical game. You're twelfth in win shares. You had forty eight points the night Kobe scored eighty one. Like I, we, we got to help. We're, we're starting to build the uh, the map. Adjusted for inflation. And just, right. <laughs> so what? What do you remember? Just main about that game, about the eighty one point game, being there, all that. Uh just a sense of helplessness. <laughs> Honesty. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> the sense of helplessness. Like, he was, like, hitting, like, like uh, rocker step pull-up threes from, like, five feet behind the line. Um, Before that was a thing people did, yeah. Yeah, and, and going to the rack. It, it, once he got going, like, people don't realize how strong he was. Hmm. Like, when he when – he, his ability to maneuver – going to the hole and once he got in the paint like he just kind of like he was really good at taking position and taking angles using his strength and physicality and then that gets compounded because he get he get the superstar whistle on top of that too right. so like you had to you could get away with anything fouling wise or bumping right. him it would probably get called and he was you know superstars are great at drawing fouls and selling it as well so mm. um and he's so aggressive he's got he the mob of mentality, like just relentless. And I remember the first, if you go back and watch that game, I don't know how, how many people have, probably a lot. 
we were winning going into the fourth quarter. So for the first three quarters and the timeouts, Coach Mitchell, Sam Mitchell's like, you know, look, he can score all the points he wants. If our team wins the game, it's a team sport. That's all I care about. Again, it worked the first three quarters and looked like a great game plan, and then it mm-hmm. turned in the fourth quarter and backfired. <laughs> At what point did you realize, like, okay, like it was Kobe's a superstar? They make more baskets than other people. But at what point were you like, oh, no, tonight this is something different? Um, Like I said, honestly, pretty quick. When he was hitting those <laughs> hit, – when he was hitting those – some of those threes um, <laughs> and getting fouled so much and, like, I don't know. It was just like, all right, this guy's going to, like, try to score every time. Like, we got to – but and there's nothing we can do about it. No, like we just gotta hope, coach. Like what Coach Mitchell said, like he can't single handedly beat our whole team, but he did. Was that something that came up like, like after that? Was it like a even as a joke in the locker room, or was just kind of like never mentioned again? Like did Jalen Rose ever anybody ever get on his head? I know he catches a lot of the (laughs) flack now, but at the time, was it anything like that, or everybody just moved on? No, everyone moved on. I mean. We were used to taking bad beats that year. We didn't have a, a great team. Um, and, and also, like, to Jalen and Mo P- Morris Peterson's defense, yeah, they were probably the primary defenders most of the time, but it, one-on-one defense, uh, it's a team – it's team defense in basketball. Anyone who right. plays knows that. There's screens. There's pick and rolls. Right. No one's gonna guard Kobe one on one. You got to have the help defense and rotations, and the, the whole team failed, not just them. <laughs> that's that's a good way to uh, to put it. I feel like other guys would have been like, "Yeah, man, Jalen was out there on an island. I don't know what he was doing out there." I I, I kept Lamar Odom in check, but uh, Jalen couldn't handle his assignment. Yeah, and anyone who says that, like, all right, you would have done better that night. Like, <laughs> come on, <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Uh, again, we won't hold you too much longer. Thank you so much uh, uh, for taking some time with us, Matt. Close out. I like to ask: Do you remember how much your first NBA check was? It was negative. You were in the hole. I was in. The, I didn't get a positive check till my third NBA check. I want to say because it, here's some uh, NBA accounting. I, I don't th- know if it works like this nowadays, but my mm-hmm. rookie year. Um, you had your union dues, ten thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, you had your camp al- allowance. So four weeks of training camp, you got fifteen hundred dollars okay. um, per week. So that's six thousand. So now you're at sixteen thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a ten percent with withholding for your owner for the owner escrow. You had your agent fee. Two to four percent, depending on what you negotiated with your agent. And then I'm playing in Ontario, Canada, very high tax rate. Oh wow. Yeah, I feel like there was one other thing too that I'm not thinking of. But we'll go with maybe one other thing that I'm just not thinking of. And I'm on a rookie minimum deal. Uh, which at the time yeah, I'm not. I'm just going to say it because anyone go look it up. It was three hundred eighty-five thousand for the year, mm. um, which is so much money from for me. Like from what I grew up with, 
Definitely. But in the grand scheme of NBA things, with all the deductions, doesn't right. come out to so much. It um, goes divided quick. by divided by each check, and <laughs> you're already in the hole like twenty grand that you got to pay back. So Jeez. it took me like my third, third or fourth check to get like a positive <laughs> deposit into the bank. Okay, so for, what was the first thing you bought for yourself when you finally uh, got in the green? I got a uh, remote control watch. Okay. Is that something that you just had your eye on or you knew it was like what yeah, I... Yeah, you know, I, I I thought it would be really funny to have a watch. And they had them back then. I don't know if they still mm. make them. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm weird. I don't know. But <laughs> I thought it would be really entertaining to have a remote control watch, like a watch that had a universal remote. Mm. So like if you're if you're if I'm at a bar or something, I could change the channel to anything I wanted. <laughs> so I could like like how many times you go into a bar or a restaurant and you're like happy like, hey, uh, can we get it on the Patriots game or can right. we get it on the Red Sox game or whatever? And I thought it would be cool to like I could just do it myself. You just you just take it or, in your own hands. Or I could just put it on something wicked stupid, like you just- I put on like Sesame Street at a sports bar or something. I don't know. Like just have some fun with it or or mess with the waiter a little bit. Like he changes it. I change it back and he's like, what's going on? You know? Yeah, well, I, I thought you were going to put the uh, the Lakers on. Uh, yeah. Did you, so, so did, did you ever do it? Did you ever get into any mischief with the, the watch? Yeah. yeah. So I, I bought I bought one. It was like 50 bucks and something I would never buy until I had a little bit of money in the bank. Sure. And, and I, I, I wore it and used it all the time. It was great. It was always great for a laugh. Yeah, I can't imagine they still have. There's no way they still have that you just buy a white and just walk into. I feel like there's too many levels. I don't you know, have to man. To the you'd be surprised. Yeah. yeah, you'd be surprised what's on eBay. Like you can get anything on eBay. So this this is true. Uh, this is true. <laughs> Matt bought before we let you go. You mentioned. Hold you know, on, you're hold on. real into quick. I'm gonna cut you off sure, real sure. quick because people no, no. are listening to that story. Like, what a what a jerk. But you gotta remember, <laughs> like early 2000s. The shows that were popular were like the Tom Green show, Jackass, Trigger Happy TV, like this type of like real life, just kind of having fun, messing like that. That was like kind of thing. Prank. Yeah, exactly. It it, it was the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing. Like now everyone's like, you know, more woke, I guess. But back then, like that's what people did, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But it was innocent fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you mentioned you got a late start. To your media career uh by refusing to get social media until you retired but now that you've got it going like like what's that like i know you're doing some podcasts and work with the spurs tell us about that yeah uh i host spurs landia it's the official podcast of the san antonio spurs last year was our first season we're getting ready to start up uh this year it runs uh-huh. in congruence with the nba season we get a wide variety of guests we say it's where spurs basketball and pop culture intersect okay so we, uh, you know, it, it usually will somehow tie back to the Spurs, um, whether the, the guest is grew up in the San Antonio, Austin area, or they're, they're Spurs fans, or they're just basketball fans uh, in respect to Spurs. Uh, it doesn't, you know, as long as there's some loose tie-in to the Spurs, <laughs> right. we're not against getting random guests. Yeah, and, six and we degrees have, of a Spurs fan, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. Um, as you can tell from this podcast, I love telling stories. So when you're the host, I got to check myself. Cause like they'll tell a story and I want to piggyback off it. My wife always says I'm super long winded, 
But I'm like, look, the, the details matter. Yeah, they matter. Right? They, they, they make the picture. I got to paint the picture. They got to visualize it. Exactly. So um, it, it's been a, been a lot of fun hosting a podcast. I mean, you know, you host. It's not as easy as you think to host a podcast no. by yourself, especially by yourself, right? If you got Definitely. a partner, they can like fill in the gaps or, or steer it on course or you can help each other. And it, the first few I did was very stressful. Yeah. Once you get used to it, like anything, you get used to it and it becomes more fun. So uh, definitely looking forward to our second season of Spurs Landia coming up this year. Okay. When uh, you said it starts with the NBA season, so we know yeah. when the first episode Spurs uh, Landia. We don't have an exact date, but uh, probably at the end of October and you can get it, you okay. know, wherever you get Spotify or um, Apple podcast or wherever you get your podcast, it's on there. Okay. Well, we would definitely keep our eyes peeled for that. Matt Bonner, thank you so much for stopping by the lounge, man. Yeah, thanks for having me anytime. Of course. We'll uh, we'll have to have you back. We'll talk to you soon, Matt. All right. Take care. You too. Thanks for stopping by the Legends Lounge, brought to you by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. Give us a follow on Twitter at NBA Legends Lounge, and be sure to subscribe and rate the Legends Lounge with me, True Withers, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm not going